Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today weekend. If you have 90 minutes, I've got information I can pack that 90 minutes with. Six broadcast partners all across the world, and they're going to bring to the broadcast table information that you need to know. We're in temporary studios here in Peoria, Illinois. We're going to be at the El Vista Baptist Church all day Sunday, four sessions, and then Monday and Tuesday evening, we'll have two sessions each night. I'm going to be teaching the book of Job. Now, you may say, is that a prophetic book? Well, indeed. The rabbinical tradition is that Job, which is the first book in the Bible, it is a book of prophecy according to the rabbis. They believe this was a prophet, Job was, to the Gentiles. We'll explain it if you can come and join us. Come along and be with us. Last weekend, we were in Jacksonville, Florida, for the Way Radio Rally. And our good friend and great broadcast partner, Ken Temmerman, came to join us with some very important information he passed along. I asked him to address the crowd that was there. We so appreciated Ken's appearance and thank him for being available each and every week to give us his analysis of the geopolitical activities happening around the world. Ken, I want to talk about what the foreign minister of Iran is saying. He has made a statement this week that Israel made a very bad gamble with a blast at their nuclear plant. Now, we don't know for sure Israel has done it. They have not said they were responsible, but I guess the rest of the world knows that. And it was a very interesting move they made against Iranian nuclear program, wasn't it? Well, it was, Jimmy. And you might remember just last week when we discussed the different approaches towards Iran between the United States and Israel, I suggested that Israel would intervene to stop the nuclear program in a non-kinetic matter, meaning not by using its aircraft to bomb nuclear facilities, but by disabling them in other ways. Now, they have used cyber warfare in the past to attack Iran's nuclear facilities. This past week, they used a small explosive device strategically placed to knock out the power. Uh, and the reason the power is so important, when you knock out the power to these advanced centrifuges, remember they're turning it something like 10,000 revolutions a minute. They go very, very fast. And they are very large. They're over six feet tall. And when the power suddenly fluctuates or goes out, it can crash the centrifuges. If the centrifuges crash with uranium inside them, you then have a nuclear spill, and a nuclear spill is deadly to the people who are inside that facility. Now, we haven't heard if there have been any casualties on the Iranian side. There were a 1,000 people inside the plant, but we do know that the Iranians were using their latest generation centrifuge, this uh, IR-6, which basically produces five times as much enriched uranium as the earlier version. So they are now installing these ultra-modern centrifuges to enrich uranium to weapons grade that, by the way, were allowed under the 2015 nuclear deal that John Kerry and Obama negotiated. The Iranians were allowed to develop these new super-fast centrifuges, and today 
they're installing them. You know, as that is all going on, the United States, along with many of their European partners, are there in Europe for the purpose of talking with and sitting at the table with the Iranians. But the European powers are warning Iran that their fate of the talks is based upon what they just have done, making 60% pure enrichment of the uranium. I mean, this is a pretty stark warning, but I don't know if the United States is even standing with these European powers. Do you? Well, that's a very good question, actually, because the U.S. under the Biden regime is more intent on getting Iran back into some form of compliance or some kind of nuclear deal than they are in actually, you know, making sure that the Iranians don't break these guidelines. You know, under the 2015 deal, they could not enrich more than about 4%. They had a limit on the amount of 20% uranium they could enrich, but it was very small. Now they've just completely busted through those limits up to 60%, which is uh, basically weapons grade. The United States doesn't seem to care. All they want from the Iranian regime is a statement that they will eventually respect the limits because the Biden team is very eager to lift sanctions. They're eager to lift the restrictions on the flow of Iranian capital and the sale of Iranian oil. And I find that this is very dangerous. The Europeans are more concerned about the security threat from Iran than the U.S. government is. That is an interesting development. However, China is boldly supporting Iran's weapon of mass destruction development, their ambitions. Here's China weighing in because of that, I guess, relationship they've just developed with that 25-year deal they signed. That's right. This 25-year agreement, $400 billion that China will invest in Iran, primarily in the oil and gas industry, uh, gives them really a leg up. I tell you, my Iranian friends this past week were very, very upset about this deal because the Chinese have sent 5,000 troops to Iran to build a military base that would guard the entry to the Strait of Hormuz. This is the strategic waterway, remember, where about 20% of the world's oil flows every day. And it's a very narrow, you know, it's about a mile and a half, 1.7 miles wide. So it's, it's an easy waterway to block. The Chinese see Iran as their strategic oil reserve. That's why they signed this deal. And if Iran develops nuclear weapons, the Chinese don't really care because they do not feel threatened by those nuclear weapons. They may think that they can prevent Iran from using them or prevent Iran from deploying them. I don't know. We'll have to see. But they certainly do not feel threatened, and they, they believe in this strategic partnership with Iran, which I think will have very important strategic consequences in the years uh, going ahead. Ken, I want to ask you, what about Russia? It seems this week they got together with Iran to discuss their ties, also the entire Middle East and their nuclear program. What about Russia trying to weigh in here? Well, this is very interesting because, you know, during the Cold War, the U.S. would play Russia against China. And uh, Reagan did that very effectively. The Bush administration did that effectively. And it worked. Now, Russia and China have a joint interest in Iran, and they feel that there's enough to go around for all of them. They're not in competition, really. There's enough to go around. The uh, Russians are going to be selling weapons, and the Russians are working with the Iranians in Syria. Remember just last week, the Russians met with the head of Hezbollah 
and they said, we want you to stay in Syria. So the Russians seem to be mainly working on the security relationship, while the Chinese are working on the economic and financial relationship with Iran. But they are cooperating together to save Iran and save this regime in Iran from utter financial collapse. You mentioned Cold War there just for a moment, Ken. I hear a report that there's a Cold War re-emerging in the Middle East. Can you explain what that is and how it's happening? Well, the Cold War, if you want to call it that, in the Middle East would really be to the exclusion of the United States, where you have Russia and China moving in as partners to exclude the United States. And this is really an extraordinary development, should this happen, because when President Trump left office on January 20th of this year, we were in a tremendously powerful position, a very, very strong position. In addition to the support for Israel, the United States had helped to negotiate the Abraham Accords, bringing key Arab countries into a direct diplomatic and economic relationship with Israel where they would renew diplomatic relations and have direct uh, financial and economic ties. An amazing, amazing uh, development. That is now all cast to the wayside. You don't hear a word about that from Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, or from the White House. And frankly, I think the United States and the Europeans should insist in their nuclear talks with Russia and China and Iran that the signatories of the Abraham Accords should be brought in as full parties to the nuclear talks because they are the ones on the front line. The UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco, these countries are going to be on the front lines against any Iranian nuclear weapon. And what we see from the Biden regime is that they're just ignoring them. And they're ignoring that tremendously strong position that President Trump left them in on January 20th. Can I read a headline, see what your thoughts are. Biden's administration's claim to fame may be jump-starting World War III. Is that a viable possibility? Think it could happen? Well, this is a real concern. I, I spoke last week about Biden's saber-rattling over Ukraine. We have no national security interest in Ukraine. The Russians this week have said, well, it's just a security exercise. It'll be over in two weeks. Biden then said he wanted to put two uh, American warships into the Black Sea, going through the Bosphorus. I mean, this kind of saber-rattling could very easily trigger a world war. And I just don't think that the current administration in the U.S. and the current national security team is up to it. They don't have the depth. They don't have the breadth. They don't seem to understand the real threat. They're doing nothing to deter China from overflying Taiwan in really what were war exercises this past week. Chinese aircraft overflying Taiwan and telling the Taiwanese This is our airspace. We control all of it. This is very dangerous, Jimmy. We are entering very dangerous times, and we have an American administration that is just not up to the challenge. And what you just heard, dear friend, is the reason we bring Ken Timmerman to this broadcast table to give us his insight into these geopolitical activities. Very important information you gave us today, Ken. Thank you so much. We'll have another conversation next week. Thanks so much to you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have David Dolan standing by. He has his Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. You know, Jerusalem, according to Ezekiel 5.5, is the center of the earth. When you look at other locations in God's prophetic word, where it refers to the city of Jerusalem, you'll see it's the location where God has selected to dwell among his people forever. That's Psalm 132. And the location where Jesus will return to build his temple and rule and reign from that temple forever. That's Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. May I suggest you might want to get a copy of my five-hour audio series entitled simply Jerusalem. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the Prophecy Bookstore and make your purchase of my audio series entitled Jerusalem. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Here in Temporary Studios in Peoria, Illinois, we're here to be at the Alvista Baptist Church on Sunday, four sessions starting at 9.30, 5, and 6. I'm going to be teaching the book of Job. Job was a prophet. You need to come and study with us this very important book. We'll do five sessions on Job. Then on Monday and Tuesday night, Prophecy Q&A at 6 and at 7, continuing our study on the book of Job, the ancient, most ancient prophet in God's Word, the first book of the Bible and the oldest book of the Bible. That's Elvisa Baptist Church. Hope to have you come and join us here in Peoria, Illinois. Well, we're going to Dave Dolan, as we promised, longtime journalist in the Middle East. And David, on Thursday, the 73rd birthday for the Jewish state of Israel, flags, fun, fireworks, family gatherings, whatever. Talk to us about that 73rd birthday party there in the state and its significance prophetically. Well, Jimmy, for one thing, it was the first major gathering allowed since the coronavirus struck a year ago in March. Just on that level, it was exciting for Israelis. It was another uh, reminder of the trials and tribulations the state has come through over these 73 years and the many wars that have been fought. Of course, uh, action against uh, Iran, uh, believed to have been taken earlier in the week, that was on everybody's mind, too, and the fact that there are still grave threats out there and uh, still enemies all around. But a celebration of the fact that this tiny 
country that had, a, as I said last week, a few hundred thousand Jews living in it when it was formed, has not only survived all of the wars and the attacks, but has thrived, has an economy that's among the best in the world, is the first country to come out of coronavirus, uh, at least at present, with a massive vaccination program, and uh, other successes that really are astounding. And uh, it's always a joy to see Israelis celebrating that fact that they exist and they continue to thrive. And they have a military might that is just about in the top three of the entire world. In fact, somehow there was an explosion in the number one nuclear development program facility there in Tehran, Iran. Looks like uh, the Iranian foreign minister said that Israel made a bad gamble. But I do believe, we don't know for sure Israel has committed that, but we pretty much believe that was the case. Not a bad gamble. I think it was very important for them to do that at this time, don't you? Well, Jimmy, we talked last week. You asked me, would Israel take a preemptive strike on Iran's nuclear program? And uh, militarily, going over with aircraft or sending cruise missiles or whatever, that's an act of war for sure. But to do things clandestinely is much more intelligent, harder to trace. And, Jimmy, it's almost 100% certain this was a Mossad operation. This has been reported uh, widely in the Israeli press. In fact, the former Mossad leader condemned what he called leaks going to the press about this operation. But, yes, it looks like somehow a powerful explosive device was planted about 150 feet underneath the Natanz nuclear facility floor where they had uh, an electrical station and a substation to keep the centrifuges is running. Now, I'm not going to get technical here, but, you know, they spin, and they spin real fast, and they have to have a constant supply of power, or they can be damaged. And uh, if power is suddenly cut, it ruins the centrifuges, and the Israelis believe that about two-thirds of the uh, centrifuges were destroyed in this attack, setting back their nuclear program by at least nine months. But as you said, Foreign Minister Zarif called it an act of war, an act of terrorism, a war crime, and a vowed revenge, and other Iranian leaders are echoing that. But it is a massive operation, Jimmy, and how they pulled that off, probably remotely. That's the idea that the explosives were planted some time ago, waiting for the right moment. How they pulled that off is anybody's guess. It would make a fabulous movie in the future, but it uh, definitely was a major operation. But the tension with Iran now is at a fever pitch. And we're going to watch that because that is part of a prophetic scenario that is found in the Word of God. Ramadan is a special month of fasting for the Islamic people. The first prayer of Ramadan taking place this week and thousands of Muslims up on the Temple Mount. Should it be calm, or should we expect something to come out that would possibly help the Islamic world try to defeat Israel in this month of Ramadan? Well, Jimmy, as you said, the first Friday prayers of the month-long celebration, commemoration of ancient Islamic history went off peacefully on the Temple Mount and in Jerusalem. Three nights before, there had been rioting right around the Temple Mount after the Israeli police forbade any people sitting on the steps to the Damascus Gate into the Old City. 
Uh, you know those. It's a wide area. It's like a little auditorium almost. And uh, that set off some trouble. And then there were some other incidents during the week. Some police were injured. Some Palestinians were injured. But on Friday itself, that was the largest gathering on the Temple Mount again since coronavirus struck over a year ago, 70,000. The Muslims said, the Israelis said it was less than that, but they gave 10,000 permits to Palestinian Muslims who had been vaccinated. They had to prove that first to come in, and they were allowed in, and the rest were Israeli Arabs or residents of Jerusalem. But uh, we're hoping it will continue to be peaceful. But as you know, Ramadan is usually a time of enhanced agitation and trouble. And that's what we have to be concerned about. We'll stay on top of that story with David Dolan. David, this last week, the Secretary of Defense from the United States came and met with military and political leaders there in Israel. The statement was made after that meeting that the alliance between the United States and Israel is in very good shape. Now, that's what the PR department is saying. What are your thoughts about that statement? Well, that's what I'm hearing from my Israeli contacts in the military. I still have quite a few and uh, keep in touch with some of them on a regular basis that the ties are still very deep on that level. At the same time, of course, the political scene is changing and we're going back to the previous Obama-Biden administration policies, funding the PLO, funding UNRWA, the United Nations uh, Work Relief Agency that houses refugees and all of that sort of thing. So politically, the relations between Washington and Jerusalem are weakening for sure. But on the military level, they remain very strong. And uh, General Austin Cumming was very uh, important, and uh, that was the first senior cabinet official to visit Jerusalem since Biden took power, and that it was the defense minister was definitely significant. Talk to me about the elections there in Israel. I know that Netanyahu has the mandate he has to sometime in May to be able to try to put a coalition government together. How is that going? Well, he's working hard on getting Gidon Sa'ar, who used to be a senior member of his own Likud party, Netanyahu's party, working hard to get him to come on board. He's reportedly telling him that you can't allow a left-wing government to form here. We've got too many problems. You know the issues we're facing with Iran and et cetera. We have to have a strong right-wing government. So he's making that appeal. Sa'ar said he would never join a Netanyahu-led government, but let's see. Meanwhile, Naftali Bennett looks pretty much on board with his seven-seat party to join the coalition. So Netanyahu is just two or three seats short of having a majority at present, but he continues to work overtime to woo people to his side. And uh, I think in the end he will succeed in doing that, Jimmy. Speaking of elections, Palestinian elections upcoming, and I understand there's a number of actual terrorists who are running for political office in the Palestinian Authority. Can you update us on that? Well, yes, and that's typical of the Palestinian society. They name squares and schools and other things after these suicide attackers and other terrorists. Well, as you said, some that are alive have announced their candidacy for the parliament. Uh, those elections are uh, scheduled to take place sometime in May. Yeah, they apparently are free to do so. There's no uh, holds on them. 
They continue to want to see Israel's destruction and uh, even elect some very radical people. And again, the worry in Israel is that the Hamas movement will once again take a majority of parliament seats and uh, maybe then be able to take over in Judea and Samaria at some point. That is Israel's worst nightmare. The man's voice you've been listening to, David Dolan, longtime 30-year journalist in the Middle East, very up-to-date on every issue in that part of the world, a key region of the world. And David's Middle East News Update, a must-hear for each and every student of Bible prophecy. David, thank you for staying on top of everything, giving us the report. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. I've got Wiki Madad standing by. He's going to give us a brief history from the Zionist Congress in the late 1800s all the way to today, the 73rd birthday of the Jewish State of Israel. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy D. Young here in Peoria, Illinois. We're here to speak at a church in the area, El Vista Baptist Church. Want to invite you to come and join us. I'm teaching a brand new prophetic book. It's the book of Job. You may not believe that, but you need to come along and study this book of Job with us. Well, this last week on Thursday was the celebration of the 73rd birthday for the Jewish State of Israel, Independence Day. And Winky Madad is going to join us here at the broadcast table. Winky, last we talked, we did talk a bit about Independence Day before it happened. But since it's so close at hand, I want you to give us a brief history, if you will, from the first Zionist Congress all the way up to and the announcement of Independence Day. But one question before that. Independence Day in Israel is a testimony to the world that God does keep his promises, is it not? Yes, it is, Jimmy, that all those prophetic words uh, that the Bible record were worked into Israel's declaration or proclamation of independence back in 1948 in various forms. The message that Israel uh, reconstituting itself is not only a practical political event, one that was legally supported by the League of Nations, quite specifically back in 1922, 
and the fact that the United Nations recommended the establishment of a Jewish state of Israel in 1947 at that November partition, but that we base our right, our ability, the justice of our cause to be an independent Jewish state on what is written in the Bible, and there's a famous story that way back in 1937, when David Ben-Gurion appeared before a British commission of inquiry, he was asked uh, basically the same question you asked me, and he said, uh, gentlemen, the Bible is our mandate. The short answer now is, Jimmy, you're quite correct in, in your question. Yes, the Bible indeed is the mandate. You know, Winky, we have... Many Christians listening to this broadcast across the United States and around the world, and I do believe it would be key for them to understand the history of how the Jewish state came together. Actually, the spark was set back in the late 1800s at the first Zionist Congress. Now, I know that you would probably need an hour or so to be able to give us a brief history, but... Maybe in 10 or 12 minutes, we need to understand how this all came together, ultimately with the announcement on May the 14th, 1948. Well, Jimmy, I will try to summarize it as precisely and concisely as I can. And in fact, uh, part of what I'm going to tell you uh, is registered in my mind because I contributed it to a petition to the United States Supreme Court, by the way, uh, a couple of years ago, which was, was I think it is, is still dealing on the issue of whether or not American tax-exempt donations can go to Jewish efforts and enterprises uh, in Judea and Samaria. But the short story that you request is that when the Jewish Commonwealth was finally ripped from any political, economic, and military ability by the Romans for the second time in 135, Jews never stopped living in the land of Israel and trying to come and to immigrate to it, no matter what the conditions were and which foreign occupier, whether it was Roman, Byzantine, Arab, Persian, Crusader, Mameluk, or Ottoman empires that ruled this area. We always were coming here. The Jewish people around the world always contributed money to the various projects here. And so when, in the late 19th century, as you noted, anti-Semitism, specifically Russian and East European pogroms, began to be a pressing issue and a fellow by the name of Theodore Herzl, a Viennese Austrian Jew, said it's enough prayer, it's enough pining, it's enough reciting psalms or other books of the Bible that recall to us, like Lamentations or Isaiah or Ezekiel, not just read about it, but let's do something. And he formed a political movement, which we now know today as Zionism. And that movement in World War One, gained the recognition of Balfour, who was the uh, Prime Minister, and he issued a declaration, which then led to the San Remo Conference, which eventually, in 1922, 
brought about the League of Nations decision that the Jewish homeland in its historical entity would be reestablished, reconstituted. And uh, the rest of the story is continued immigration, despite the fact that the British and the Arabs were opposed for the most part, building enterprises, establishing kibbutzim, bringing in people, uh, and eventually fighting for independence, like every other nation, unfortunately, has been forced to do, whether it's America or all around the world. And in 1948, we were able to establish a state, defend it, with the backing of the United Nations, and ever since then, of course, it has been a tough struggle. Well, I was just going to ask that soon after that Friday afternoon announcement by David Ben-Gurion that Israel was among the nations of the world, seven Arab countries attacked with an effort to try to wipe this new Jewish state into the Mediterranean. That independence war has continued on down through the years, has it not? Yes, it has, Jimmy, simply because, despite what college students may hear or you may read in your newspapers or hear on your news, the Arabs of the area of Palestine refuse to recognize our legitimate right to live in any border configuration. Over the years, we have withdrawn from territory. We have tried to compromise. It is not working. And their only instrument has been, for the most part, overwhelmingly terror, incitement, and again, I repeat, refusal to recognize our legitimacy as a people. And so the struggle goes on from that original invasion, which, of course, was preceded during the mandate, during various riots in 2021, 29, and during 36, 37. We have been tested, on the one hand, in our belief in God's Word, in the prophetic Word of God in the Bible. We've been tested on the field of battle. We've been tested in diplomatic forums and international agencies. And I don't think you will find any other people which has faced the challenges that we we faced and continue to face as we have entered our 73rd year of national independence. And I say with all confidence that the Jewish state of Israel is here to stay without any reservations. I go back to the ancient Jewish prophets who made that statement, and they say to the world, do they not, Winky, that indeed God has a plan for the Jewish people ahead the better days to come. Would you agree? I agree, and I am sure that your listeners are sympathetic to our rights, our requirements, and the justice of our cause. And I would like to express to them, through you, Jimmy, my thanks and appreciation as one person, one Israeli living here in Judea and Samaria, for all that is done of the lovers of Zion. 73rd birthday. That's for the modern-day state of Israel. They've been around for about... 4,000 years and eternity future will only tell what God's plan for the Jewish people and its state will be. Winky, thanks for rehearsing that for our audience. I do believe this was a great learning session for all listening to the broadcast. Appreciate it so much, my good friend. Happy birthday, Israel, and uh, you the representative, of course, Winky, of uh, the state of Israel. Happy birthday, 
and we'll have another conversation down the road. Jimmy, thank you very much for your felicitations. And uh, again, the privilege of being on your uh, important program. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Very interesting conversation. A brief history from the time of the first Zionist Congress all the way up to Independence Day of 2021. 73 years old, the modern-day state of Israel. We so appreciate Winky's mind to the activities pertaining to the Jewish state of Israel. Well, we're going to change regions of the world. The Middle East, a key region, as we look at Bible prophecy and God's scenario for the end times, another region would be the European Union. John Rood, living in Brussels for over 30 years, headquarters, of course, for the European Union, and he's our broadcast partner as we think about what's going on politically in that region of the world. John, let me begin with the fact that European powers are warning Iran over the fate of the talks going on, the United States, European powers, and of course Iran. After word was given from Iran that they have advanced 60% enrichment now of the uranium to prepare for a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Talk to me about that warning from the European Union. Well, we uh, cover these issues substantially and consistently. We can see how the reactions are becoming stronger and stronger now. The technique and so forth that Iran has been using to pressure Europe is uh, coming to a head here. So the move to go ahead to enrich uranium to 60% purity, which is purely a reason for establishing a nuclear weapon, this has reached the limit for Europe. And so Iran sees it as a retaliation for the attack that was on their nuclear site, whatever the origin of that could be. But Europe is a little too little too late, as which is usually their uh, operation. Another situation as it relates to the European Union is their presence through NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. They're in Afghanistan. And President Biden said he's pulling all U.S. troops out. Now NATO says that they're going to follow that lead and pull out the troops, but not by September 11, but by the date that Donald Trump set when he was in office as of May the 1st. Pretty important move by NATO, is it not, John? Sure. The Secretary General of NATO, he's confirmed that the withdrawal from Afghanistan will begin on May 1st. They have a deal with the Taliban. This war has been going on for 20 years, 10,000 NATO troops there. The Taliban doesn't recognize the government that's in Kabul. So it looks like the withdrawal will begin, and it's not really certain when everyone would be out. But this is a aftermath of what President Trump had uh, set up. And as the Bible teaches us, Afghanistan, one of those members of Islamic states that will come and try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. That's why we report on that move by NATO. But at the same time, Pakistan, 
would be included in that list of nations to align themselves against the Jewish state. I understand, John, that France is urging its citizens to leave Pakistan because of French protests there. What do you know? Again, this is more of an escalation of an old topic. It's actually protests in Pakistan about the cartoon depictions of the Prophet Muhammad in France, which have continued. We've seen the Islamic world uh, react to France, and this is continuing again to the point now that France is recommending their citizens to leave Pakistan. With that thought in mind, then, as it relates to the activities not only there in the Far East and the Middle East, we have to look at what the Palestinians in Israel are doing, and they have condemned the Prime Minister of Great Britain because he opposes the International Criminal Court of a attack or an, at, at least charges against Israel. Uh, this is of some concern to them, and the ICC upset about it. Israel happy with this move by Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson has referred to that Israel is not a party in the Statute of Rome. The International Criminal Court is based on a document which is explicitly for its founding called the Statute of Rome. It reminds us pretty closely of the Treaty of Rome that was the EU's founding document in 1957. And we realize, of course, that the EU and the International Criminal Court, they like this connection with Rome, which gives a flavor of the ancient Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire. Another thing, Jimmy, very important is that, you know, in Brussels, we had a Brussels International Court. It was called Belgium's Universal Jurisdiction Law. And it it began in 1993. It ended probably, I think, the early 2000s. But they had accused in absentia, saying they had jurisdiction. They had accused uh, President Bush, Vice President Cheney, Secretary of State Powell, General Schwarzkopf. And it was the same type of idea. This is uh, pretty much the ICC is sort of an extension of that uh, same type of thinking. When they started accusing the U.S. leaders, the U.S. had to go in there and have a, have a talk with them. And it was just a matter of weeks. The whole thing was dissolved. Looks like uh, the political activities in the European Union, as we always say, setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. John, that's why we have you on the air, and we look forward to another conversation next week. Thank you very much, Jimmy. Well, right now, I'm going to bring to my broadcast table Sam Rohr. Sam has his own national talk program and television program as well, Stand in the Gap. And just this last week, I was on the air with Sam Every other week, he invites me to join him for the purpose of discussing what is going on in Israel and look as it relates to Bible prophecy. But during the conversation this last week, Sam brought up something I thought would be valuable for my listeners here on Prophecy Today to get in on. You need to understand possibly what is about to happen as it relates to the Jewish state of Israel. Now, I am not going to make a statement that this is absolute, but I want you just to hear it, pay attention to it, come maybe to an understanding, and see what the possibilities are. Sam, in our conversation on your 
broadcast, you said that you had some contacts in Israel that are very much concerned about taking the vaccine. Talk to me about what they had to say. Jimmy, yes, I found this astounding, and uh, I'll try to relate it just as briefly as I can, but as Americans are being intimidated and forced and encouraged from all sides, it seems, to take this COVID vaccine, which is not a vaccine by definition, but a gene-altering therapy, an experimental drug that, that Pfizer refers to it, I, on the behalf of Stand in the Gap, have been doing a lot of covering and investigating on what is this thing, because anytime somebody wants to put something in my arm, I become suspect, as I should, because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I need to be very careful what I put into my body. I choose carefully what I eat, I care what I drink, and certainly putting a needle in my arm with something that I don't know what it is all about raises me, and I say as a Christian citizen, I should say, wait, back up and take a look at it. But So in that regard, I have looked at the whole concept of the COVID vaccine, and I have noted with extraordinary interest that for so many, they are rushing to this as the solution, as if it is God's answer. And in some, some cases, you even have some Christian leaders in the United States that have stood up and said, this is an answer to prayer. We should do it. Well, when I look at it, I say, no, it's not. And the evidence of the vaccine, which is not, but the harm that it's creating is now occurring across the world. And here in the United States, over 10,000 people have now died on the record on the re- as a result of the vaccine. So there is an issue of which we need to be concerned. But when I looked for the concern, Jimmy, I began to note with interest the nation of Israel, because the leading nation in the world in regard to taking this vaccine, this experimental drug, was Israel. Back in December, Benjamin Netanyahu went on the record of saying uh, in a bold fashion that he had agreed to enter into an agreement with Pfizer, developer of the major leading investigational drug, as they referred to it, entered into an agreement with them that, that in his words, Netanyahu's words, that Israel would be the laboratory, he used those words, the laboratory uh, uh, for the clinical trial, effectively, of this, what they would call it, the vaccination. His hope was, when I read it, I thought, that's a very strange thing, that Yahoo. Why in the world are you entering into an agreement? How can you do that, first of all, with your people? And what is it that you're hoping to accomplish? And his goal was, we are going to demonstrate to the world that we are courageous and bold and willing to step up, there's res- words paraphrased, and take this vaccine, we'll become the most vaccinated country in the world, and we will lead the nations of the world back to normalcy. Well, when he said that, I thought, I'm, I, I really, I, thought, I don't like the sounds of that, because when I think of Israel, there's no man that has led Israel to prominence, but God himself has been the defender and the leader to Israel. And the only reason they're there now is because God himself, not because of any one individual. I thought that was kind of an arrogant statement. After that fact, now we know that about 70% of Israelis have been vaccinated, forced, effectively. The, but the only group that has not taken it, have really resisted it, have been the ultra-religious, the Orthodox, and those in that, the religious Jews have said, no, we cannot. They've resisted strongly. But Israel has already proceeded to the point of what they call a green passport. It's a proof of vaccination. 
and they are implementing it to the point now that if you do not have your vaccination, then we will prevent you from going to movie theaters and a whole host uh, of other areas that, that people would normally, would normally go to. You cannot go. The result of that is you have many Israelis stepping up. Uh, in, in effect, there was a group not long ago, a, a doctor, a Jewish doctor, and, and others that began to form a political party uh, around this theme, which is the way they do it in Israel, uh, around this theme. The government stepped in. They shut Facebook shut down any reference to it. This is what they are reporting. They took away the license of this physician to shut him down so that he would not lead in this area and are, and are forcing major changes on the people, basically putting them into two categories. And this is the part, and I'll stop with this, that is of most interest. There is a German physician, Dr. Reiner Fulmeck, and people can probably look that up. He's been interviewing a lot of Holocaust-surviving victims. One was involved with a Holocaust survivor, Vera Sharav. And, I, uh, and I've watched and I've listened to that interview. In her words, she has said this. She says, as a, not, as a child survivor of the Nazi reign of terror, I learned indelible lessons about the nature of evil. I know the consequences of being stigmatized and demonized as being a, quote, spreader, end quote, of disease. My perspective is informed by my experience, by the historical record, and by the empirical evidence. And what they go on to say is this. The arrangement by the Israeli government with Pfizer, who is a German-owned company, is ironic to be sure. The first group of people that they went to to put the immunizations, force them into vaccinations, were who? Holocaust survivors. And now they're forcing it down the line. And what these Holocaust survivors and the Jews themselves are saying, look, we were once forced to wear a yellow star. We were experimented on under the guise of health, and what they are saying, the Jews were then the canary in the coal mine. Israel and the Jews today are once again, right now, the canary in the coal mine, and they are saying, we are having apartheid forced upon us, some class, lower class. You take the vaccine, you're higher class. If you don't take it, you're an outcast, forced to wear a yellow star. Here in our own country, and they're basically saying, the media in Israel is shutting us down. World, please hear, as you heard once in the days of Hitler and the move against Jews, the world is again moving again to control its people, Jews being the first uh, target. It's happening in Israel. Those are the things, Jimmy, that I'm saying this is astounding. We need to listen to the words of these survivors who are saying they're seeing the same thing happen all over again. And the possibility that they may be among those who have had the vaccine, may be among those who may die, as you reported earlier in this report, that are happening right here in America. You know, that brings to my mind, Sam, that the possibility of 144,000 male virgin Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel will come out of the Orthodox community, who in Israel are basically refusing to take this shot. And that possibly could be where the Lord will select those 144,000 male virgin Jews. More on that when I discuss all of this 
as we take a look at the book here on Prophecy Today. One final question before we wrap it up, Sam. And I believe from your first statement that you are still recommending that any of us, and especially in light of a pause in the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that you would say we should study this situation and move forward with caution. Would that be your statement to us? That, that is absolutely correct because, of, for no other reason, it is not needed. 99.95% of those who get it do not die. Number two, this is not a vaccine. By definition, it is a permanent altering of my, of my immune system, which God created to handle the kinds of things that are coming that way. And I am very concerned that my body, being the temple of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to put anything in that's going to permanently change it i got a whole lot more reasons, but there's no need for it, and the evidence of harm being created by it is overwhelming. That's the voice of Sam Rohr, a broadcast partner with us right here on Prophecy Today. Sam, thank you so very much for your insight. Appreciate it. We'll talk again on the radio. Thank you, Jimmy. A very important decision that all of us have to make as to whether we should take the vaccine or not. We do need to do our due diligence on this subject and then make our own decisions on what we do in light of what we find out as it relates to the vaccines in our world today. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, David James, one more broadcast partner, he'll be here at the broadcast table in a moment right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Peoria, Illinois. We're here to speak at the El Vista Baptist Church Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. We're going to be teaching the book of Job, a brand new series, Job the Prophet. You don't want to miss it. We'll have four services on Sunday, 9.30 and 10.30 in the morning, and then 5 and 6. I'll be teaching Job in those sessions, and then Prophecy Q&A at 6 on Monday and Tuesday at 7 o'clock. I'll teach the book of Job again. Here's my poll question, if you'll answer it for me, please. Do you believe the 73rd birthday of the Jewish state of Israel is tangible evidence of Bible prophecy being fulfilled as foretold in Ezekiel chapter 37? That's the poll question. Please answer it for us. It's on my home page at prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I join each other at the broadcast table every week for the purpose of discussing an issue that is key for the Christian community to understand and have a biblical and or a prophetic understanding of how we are to deal with the issue. This time, Independence Day, in light of biblical history, David and I will be talking about this recent 73rd birthday of the Jewish state of Israel. 
But David, this week we want to deal with a couple of listeners' questions as well, both of them concerning the fulfillment of prophecy in the last days. Now, the first one is about the rulers in the kingdom of the Antichrist. Speak to that question. Sure, Jimmy. Well, here's what our listener asked. What is your opinion about the ten toes of the statue, and he references Daniel 2.42, and the ten horns, Revelation 13, are they the ten European nations or the future ten regions of the world ruled by the Antichrist? So, Jimmy, the statue is in a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and that Daniel interpreted with the statue's head representing the Babylonian Empire, followed by the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire, and then finally the statue had legs of iron representing Rome, with feet and toes being a mixture of iron and clay, apparently representing an unstable confederacy of ten rulers as an extension of the Roman Empire in the future. Now, in chapter 7, Daniel has a dream in which these empires are represented by animals, with the fourth one being a terrible beast with ten horns, and with three being displaced by a little horn, which I take to be the Antichrist rising from obscurity. Now, our listener also mentions Revelation 13, where we see a beast rising from the sea with seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns, and in Revelation 17, we see them again with a lot of geopolitical activity happening in chapters 17 and 18. So here's the thing, Jimmy. As prophecy teachers, we can responsibly outline the overall big picture. The Antichrist kingdom will in some way be connected with the legacy of the original Roman Empire, but I think there will be twists and turns that will result in a literal fulfillment, but that only will be completely clear in hindsight. So we can talk about how it could play out, but I think we need to be careful about saying exactly how it will play out. And I would agree with that, David. By the way, I was just reading uh, Daniel chapter 7 in my quiet time this morning, a very interesting study, and it goes along exactly with what you said. Actually, we do not have time to get into all the details on the second email, but I do believe the main points are about the timing of the rapture and the signs of the times. Right. Our listener wrote this, and I've edited it some. A post-trib rapture, he says, just doesn't make sense to me, and I don't understand why some Christians don't believe in the rapture. Is it because they're disappointed? So, Jimmy, I try to stay away from the why when it comes to motives and, and just stick with the what question. So some argue that because Christians throughout history have suffered persecution, the last generation of the Church shouldn't think they'll be exempt from what will happen under the Antichrist. But really, that's not the issue. The major problem with both the post-trib and the pre-wrath view of the rapture is that everything that happens during Daniel's 70th week results from Jesus himself breaking all the seals. It's all God's wrath, and the Church has been promised not to experience that wrath. Then our listener goes on to say, there are many end-time signs around us, and we're seeing the one-world religion prophecies being fulfilled, and yet the New World Order can't be fully implemented because it's being held back. Do you believe the Restrainer is the Holy Spirit or Michael the Archangel? Jimmy, many people talk about seeing prophecy fulfilled today, but I think we need to be careful to say that while there are signs of the times, these aren't the fulfillment of prophecy. They're setting the stage for the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, concerning the Restrainer of Second Thessalonians 2, many who hold to a rapture after the beginning of Daniel's 70th week 
see Michael, the archangel, as a restrainer. But, Jimmy, angels are neither omnipotent nor omniscient, and I think both are necessary to restrain human evil and demonic activity around the world. So I think it must be the Holy Spirit doing this work. Very interesting question from one of our listeners. In fact, a great opportunity for you to send us your questions. David and I will try to deal with them when we have our conversation or through the program itself. Well, as already mentioned, this week on the broadcast, we've been talking about Israel's Independence Day, uh, commemorating the return to the land in 1948. And David, I wanted to discuss Israel's departures and returns in history. So, David, if you will, remind us about the first departure and the first return of the Jewish people to the land. Sure. Well, Jimmy, in Genesis fifteen thirteen, God tells Abraham that his descendants will be afflicted for 400 years in another land. But we read this starting back in verse 4. One who will come from your own body will be your heir. And then God said, now look toward heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them, so shall your descendants be. Then in verse 6, we read that Abraham believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then God said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. So God established the Abrahamic covenant in five phases in chapters 12, 13, and 17, with two phases in chapter 15. And then he confirmed it with Isaac in chapter 26 and Joseph in chapter 28. And as the fourth phase in chapter 15, uh, God made a blood covenant that he cut with Abraham by passing through pieces of sacrifice alone while Abraham slept. And so this made it an eternal, unconditional covenant depending only on God's faithfulness. And then in the time of Jacob and his sons, Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, and he ended up in Egypt, and where through a series of events, he saved Egypt from famine and, pl- and was placed into one of the highest positions of authority in the empire. He was able to also save his family and the 70 who made up the tiny nation of Israel at that time when they came to Egypt, too. And then after Egypt's rulers had forgotten about Joseph some 400 years later, as God had said, he raised up Moses to deliver Israel out of Egypt into the Promised Land uh, and as a nation that had grown to some two and a half million people. So I would say God gave Israel her first Independence Day when he fulfilled Genesis fifteen fourteen, which says, I will judge the nation they serve, and they shall come out with great possession. And indeed, that was the case. That's historic record and biblical record as well. Now, that was the first departure and the first return. Talk to us about the second departure and return to the land. David, it was different than the first because that departure wasn't for judgment, while the second one actually was for judging the Jewish people. Well, that's right, Jimmy. And this second departure took place in two phases, as God first judged Israel in the north and later Judah in the south. And this was largely because of worshiping other gods and horrible pagan practices that they'd adopted. So the Assyrians destroyed Israel in 722, and the people were deported and and scattered. Uh, And I'll come back to that in a minute. And the Babylonians attacked Judah in 606 B.C. with a final assault in 586 when they leveled Jerusalem and the temple. And so the Jews were in captivity for 70 years, one year for every Sabbath year they hadn't observed. And after the Persian king Cyrus had defeated the Babylonians, he decreed 
that the Jews could return to build the temple. So that could be considered another Independence Day. And the returns from the Babylonian captivity, which are called Aliyahs in Hebrew, they took place in three waves. And another king, Artaxerxes, issued a decree to rebuild the city walls. And that set the stage for the fulfillment of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. So, Jimmy, there are uh, many wrong ideas about the so-called ten lost tribes of Israel. Uh, It's true that many were scattered, but the returnees are consistently referred to as the children of Israel. In fact, a sacrifice is offered for all twelve tribes in Ezra 16, 17. And then in the New Testament, Jesus told his disciples to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, uh, Peter addressed the whole house of Israel in Acts 2.36 and wrote to those who were scattered in First Peter. In Romans 11.26, Paul says that all of Israel will be saved. James wrote to all 12 tribes, and John saw 12,000 from each tribe who will be sealed. He saw that in Revelation 7. So the nation will be brought back together, and in God's sight, they are not lost. Now that's the second departure, second return. Uh, It's referred to as the diaspora when they leave, the Aliyah, which is the Hebrew word meaning going up to Jerusalem, but applied today, meaning to return to the land, immigrate back into the land. And as I said on the program, Independence Day has been about Israel's return to the land at this time in history. So remind everybody, David, what we do know about the circumstances surrounding Israel's last departure And how does the final return relate to future events? Well, Jimmy, the third departure was because of the Roman general Titus, who was the son of the emperor Vespasian. And he laid siege to Jerusalem for five months in 70 AD, and he destroyed the city and leveled the second temple. And that was foretold by Gabriel in Daniel 9.26. Jesus also foretold this in Matthew 24 when he told his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And in John one eleven, actually, we see the ultimate reason for their judgment. John wrote, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And then even after Israel's religious leaders conspired with the Romans to kill Jesus, and Jesus arose from the grave and ascended into heaven, as we know, Peter still offered the kingdom to the nation in Acts 2, and then again in chapter 3, when he says this, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Uh, And they didn't do that, Jimmy. They didn't do that as a nation. And actually, Israel's final return was prophesied in the land covenant in Deuteronomy 30, verses 4 and 5, where we read that you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven. From there the Lord your God will gather you, and God will bring you to the land your fathers possessed. And in the Davidic covenant, in Second Samuel 7, we read this, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more. So, Jimmy, Israel's full regathering will be during the tribulation, and all the covenant promises of them will be fulfilled during the millennium, and they will be able to celebrate true independence while depending fully on their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, their Messiah. Great history lesson, David, and let me just add this bit of information. Study from Genesis to Revelation, and you will only be able to find three departures and three returns. And as David just related to us, 
we're in that third return. That means God's plan for these departures and returns have been put in place almost to complete fulfillment. And we can look next for the rapture of the church. Let me suggest a DVD, which is entitled Signs of the Times. We look at the book of Ezekiel, chapters 34 through 48. This would be of great assistance to you in your study of Bible prophecy. David, thank you for all your study and helping us to better understand all of this. It's key for our listeners to get this history lesson and come to an understanding of actually what is happening today, Bible prophecy being fulfilled. Appreciate it, and be ready. We'll have another conversation like this next week. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll look forward to that one, too. We're going to take a quick break right now. Then, as I take my reports from the broadcast partners, we'll open the Bible, take a look at the book, and see what God's Word has to say about these current events, and as David said, that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, it was happy birthday to the Jewish state of Israel. On Thursday of this last week, Israel did celebrate its 73rd birthday, and many of our reports speak of that very special day for the modern-day state of Israel. Also with my broadcast partners, we covered other geopolitical events in our world 
that may well be setting the stage for the prophetic passages of God's word to come to fulfillment as well. If you did give me the 90 minutes that I requested at the beginning of the broadcast, I gave you six of my broadcast partners that covered issues that the mainstream media is not covering. And by the way, if you had to miss any of these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there we have archived all of these reports for you to be able to listen to them at your convenience. Also, remember to tell a friend or a family member about these reports as well. They need to hear what is happening in our world and be aware of how close we are to that next event, the rapture of the church, which could happen at any moment, according to what our broadcast partners brought to the broadcast table today. For example, Ken Timmerman. He covers geopolitical events. We talked about Iran's foreign minister saying that Israel made a bad gamble attacking Iran's main nuclear facility. You know, the battle between Iran and Israel is a page right out of the prophetic passages of God's Word. Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 5 mentions Persia. Now that is modern-day Iran, and they are the ones that are number one threat to the Jewish state. In fact, Psalm 83 and verse 4 says that Iran and other enemies of Israel will hold a council meeting, come out, and endeavor then to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, that her name be forgotten forever. That stage is in the process of being set. Both of these prophecies will be fulfilled seemingly in the very near future. David Dolan gives us his Middle East news update. This last week, the Secretary of Defense was in Israel to meet with both military and political leaders and to discuss how the United States and Israel can work together. Out of that meeting came the statement that the alliance between the United States and Israel is in good condition. Winky Madad, longtime friend of us on Prophecy Today, and a great Israeli historian, came to the broadcast table to give us the history between the time of the first Zionist Congress in the late 1800s all the way up to Israel's 73rd birthday. The history of the modern-day state of Israel is to the world a shout-out that Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. For example, Ezekiel 37, where it says the bones will come together, the flesh will come on the bones, and then the breath of life will be breathed into the bones. And in fact, Ezekiel 37:11 says, those bones are the whole house of Israel. The bones coming together, a regathering of the Jewish people, flesh on the bones, a restoration of a Jewish state, And then in verses 9 and 10, the life being breathed into these flesh-covered bones, the re-energizing of the Jewish state. John Rood covers the European Union for us, 
and he reported that the European leaders are warning Iran about developing uranium to 60% of purity, especially in light of the talks that the European leaders and leaders from the United States are holding there in Europe to endeavor to try to renew that Iranian nuclear deal. This warning from the Europeans should be a warning from the United States as well. I'm not sure about that, but I can tell you what Bible prophecy tells us for sure. Iran will join an alignment of nations in an endeavor to destroy the Jewish state. That's Daniel 11, Ezekiel 38, and Psalm 83. Sam Rohr brought us a special report on the coronavirus vaccine. Now, this was an important conversation, and each and every one of us will have to make up our own mind as to what we will do. I only suggest you be sure to do your due diligence on this issue and then make up your mind as to what you will do. David James, we always have a conversation together, and we talked about a biblical base for Israel at 73 years of age. Again, Ezekiel chapter 37 talks about the Valley of Dry Bones. Ezekiel 34, the Lord says, I will do this. And God has a plan as in the process of fulfilling that plan. May I suggest a couple of other chapters there in Ezekiel you might want to look at and see how close they are to the establishment of a Jewish state. Ezekiel 35 refers to the Palestinian people. Chapter 36, the land that God has promised to give the Jewish people. Chapter 38, the alignment of nations. Anticipation for peace is found there in chapter 38, verses 8 and 11, and a temple coming, Ezekiel 40 to 46. All evidence that with the birthday of Israel at 73, all of these other prophecies about to be fulfilled. You know, the Jewish state of Israel is shouting out to the world that they are a state that's 73 years old. That's tangible evidence that God fulfilled Bible prophecy in the past. The next event to be fulfilled will be the rapture of the church. And the fact that Israel is a state, as foretold by the ancient Jewish prophets, is proof that the rapture will take place, and seemingly very soon. I mean, having said that, you must realize that rapture could happen today. That leaves me with nothing else to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Mm-hmm.